0: Make sure I'm on here. Sorry, I'm not much of a dancer, but you know my favorite dancing. Some of you will re- stop that. Some of you will remember this. Remember the Cosby Show, the beginning of the Cosby Show, and they're all dancing. My favorite dancing was Bill Cosby dancing. You know, when he's doing the little. That's my kind of dancing. he's the, he's the coolest dancer. Well, this morning we are continuing in, uh, well, we have a few outliers, feel free to move in if you like. <laughs> We're continuing on, uh, our finishing up the book of Ruth, and sorry for moving around if I'm messing up the sound, I just want to grab a stool, finishing up the book of Ruth, and uh, chapter 4 has a lot going on, and uh, but we'll work our way through it and we'll see what we get to and, and uh, try and... Uh, Just hit some highlights of of chapter 4. But there's a lot going on in chapter 4. And uh, you remember in the book of Ruth, there's sort of, uh, it's a story. It's written about the time of King David. And it's telling the story, really. I think its purpose is telling the story of where, you know, who's King David and where did he come from? And it's set between the time of Judges, which is you know Gideon and Shamgar and Deborah and Samson and all the sort of big movers and shakers in the Bible and Samuel where we get introduced to King Saul and the line of kings and then you have Ruth and there's this little pastoral book four chapters that kind of zooms in on this little family in Bethlehem and what's going on with this little family and why are they important and it's a a story of how God is providing for his people that God has a plan to give Israel the line of kings that it needs and it's not Saul (laughs) it's going to be David and uh but he needs a line to get to David, and from David then eventually to Jesus. And that's the story of, of where this line of kings comes from and how it continues on from Abraham down through Boaz, and you know various people are married in, but it's the story of Ruth and Boaz. And God caring for his people. And he's painting, is sort of like a picture or like a story, a play. And he's painting this picture, telling this story in a way that he's revealing things about Ruth and things about Boaz. But God is telling the story in Ruth, really, of his, whole, of his story with humanity. That he cares, that he's providing, that he's sending a redeemer, that his love is coming down, as we've been singing about. Uh, and that he plans to care for his people. And we've looked at that in a whole bunch of different ways in the first three chapters. So now in this final chapter, and I've sort of align them up with Advent, uh, with the hope, uh, the peace, and the joy. Uh, the joy of redemption was last week, and now it is love. And it's a love that will fulfill every law. First of all, it's a love that's fixed on its object, single-minded of purpose. It's a love that will fulfill every law, and a love that will pay every price uh, in order to accomplish its redemption. Uh, let's just pray before we open up Ruth 4. Father God, we give you thanks. That your love has come down and that we can now look into your word and see uh, even in this little story um, of rural Israel and uh, a little town Bethlehem where uh, farmers and and people are just going about their lives, you are at work and your love uh, is fixed upon us, your love will fulfill every law, your love will pay every price and uh, we'll see this illuminated in in Ruth chapter 4. Uh, and so many other things as well, as you teach us about love and relationships and righteousness and law and redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last verse of chapter 3, which is where we see that this is a love that is fixed upon its purpose. The last verse of chapter 3, the Naomi had come up with this crazy plan. Ruth, get yourself dolled up, put on perfume, go lay down, uncover... Boaz's feet. He's going to wake up in the middle of the night, find this woman in his barn and uh, wonder why she's there. But then, you know, the whole thing unfolds and uh, Ruth essentially asks for Boaz to redeem her. And it ends that chapter when she goes back to Naomi to report. Naomi says, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for this man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so Naomi knows now that Boaz is single-minded of purpose in his pursuit of the redemption of Ruth. The little twist that you need to know is that Ruth is, or that Boaz was not first in line to redeem. A little throwaway line in there, Boaz said, you remember in chapter 3, I would redeem you, but there's another who's nearer than me. And so in this whole little plot now, we have what's going to happen when Boaz goes to deal with this other redeemer. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, bide in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people and if you redeem it redeem it but if you will not tell me that i may know for there is no one besides you to redeem it and i come after you and he said i will redeem it and then boaz said the day you buy the field from the hand of naomi you also acquire ruth the moabite the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance and then the redeemer said I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witness this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath Ephrathath, and be known in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amimna, Amimnadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So, the conclusion of Ruth. There's a fair bit going on here. The first thing being as I mentioned, Boaz's determination to finish out this plan after Ruth had come to him in the grain yard and uh, asked that she be taken under his garment. And he rightly interpreted that to be taken under his wing or to be a redeemer, to be the redeeming, kinsman redeemer. And he's fixed upon that purpose. And so the love of Boaz is intent upon its purpose and acts immediately. And to do this, he goes to the gate, right? And To understand all of what's going on, before I get into it just briefly, I have to understand that what's going on here is the law of the kinsman-redeemer. That's what they're talking about. And I won't go into detail on it, but in Deuteronomy 25, if you're really interested, you can look it up in Deuteronomy 25. But essentially, the law of the kinsman-redeemer is is that if a brother is married and he dies and there is no offspring, then it is the duty of the family to marry his wife, uh, have a child by her to continue the brother's name. And it can be an uncle, brother, relative. It's the kinsman redeemer. It's to redeem the line of the family and also protection for the woman so that she's not without provision and protection and everything else. And we won't get into all the the rules of, uh, you know, uh, 4,000 years BC uh, and 3,000 years BC and, uh, you know, the time that, that these things are happening. But the... The the point of the law of the kinsman-redeemer is that a relative can redeem. A relative can can do this. And so this is what is being discussed at the city gate. Boaz is in line to be a kinsman-redeemer, and there's another redeemer closer. And so Boaz heads straight from the threshing floor to the city gate... And it's early in the morning, and you can imagine the city gates outside of Bethlehem. People are waking up, and it's sort of a wide plaza-type area where you enter into the city, and everybody's doing business. If anybody's traveled in the Middle East, you can sort of maybe picture this a little bit. You know, or you've seen in the movies sort of Middle Eastern markets, and that's exactly what it would be like. People coming and going, people setting up stalls. You know, they'd be getting their double-double coffee on the way by as they're going out uh, to work, and, you know, people selling bagels and, you know... And so there's this sort of hustle and bustle, but it's also the place where business is transacted and where the the, the community transacts legal things. And so the elders sit at the city gate. And you see this uh, in uh, throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. If you were to look in Job, he talks about, when I went out into the city gate and secured my seat in the public square, the young men would see me and step aside, and the old men would get up and remain standing. And so he's just talking about his stature in the city. And in Proverbs 31, when it's talking about um, the wife that is a blessing to her husband or a good wife, it says her husband is respected at the city gate where he sits among the elders. And so there's this sense that this is the city square, the city hall, the place where business is transacted. And Boaz goes straight there because he's committed to doing the right thing. Boaz is committed to righteousness and fulfilling the law of God. When Ruth comes at night and asks to be redeemed, that Boaz spread his garment over her, Boaz said, there's actually another kinsman redeemer in before me, and I, even though you love me and I love you and, and we could just run off right now and get married, Boaz is committed to righteousness. He's committed to the law. He's committed to obedience. He's committed to doing the right thing. Boaz is essentially saying, I'm overwhelmed. He talks about the kindness that, that Ruth did him. He says, I'm overwhelmed by your offer, but I have to sort this out first. I can't just get carried away emotionally here. As kind as you are to me, I have to follow the law. I have to make sure that all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, so that our relationship is on this firm foundation, legally and in the community and before God. And just as an aside, and as we talk about Ruth here in chapter 4, we really have a picture of marriage. And we really have a picture here as we talk about who Boaz is and the picture of Jesus that's coming as I speak here as sort of a secondary thread and as an aside, we're also talking about marriage and how many marriages might uh, start off better if the people getting married had asked themselves that same question that Boaz said. (laughs) What's the right thing to do here, right? As much as I'm in love with you, as much as I'm overwhelmed by your kindness, as much as you know we're here in the barn at night and we could run off and get married and I've got money and it doesn't matter, it's just about us, Boaz says instead, no, I have to do the right thing. I have to do right by the law. I have to do right by the community. I have to do right by God to get married and put our marriage on the right foundation. And a lot of marriages would benefit, I think, if we took the time <laughs> and asked that question first and encouraged our children and our grandchildren to ask that question before they get married. And so in Ruth, you have this picture of marriage sort of done right. So Boaz is there. That's why he's there. That's why he's at the, he's at the city gate. And, he, and he's there to conduct some law. He wants to get something done right. And as it happens, here comes the kinsman redeemer down the road. And, and Boaz calls him over and he says, hey, so-and-so, literally. That's what it says in Hebrew. <laughs> hey, so-and-so, what's your name? Uh, have a seat here. And uh, the man comes over and sits down, and then he tells the elders, you guys, you all come and sit here. I've got you, I've got the witnesses, I've got the elders, we're going to do some business. And, and remember, this speaks to Boaz's character in the community, right? He just says, hey, you come sit down, and the guy comes and sits down. And he says to the elders, you guys come and sit there, and they come and sit da- there, right? It tells you this is a man that we've already talked about. He is a, uh, he's a respected man in the community, and he's there to do business, and so people pay attention to him. And it's interesting that, I mean, he obviously knows the guy's name, but in the book of Ruth, when they wrote this story many, many years later to talk about King David and where he came from, they leave out his name. I mean, Boaz knows his name. I'm sure everybody knows his name. Um, He's family. But they just record it as, hey, what's your name? Hey, (laughs) so-and-so. And so it's sort of interesting ideas as to why that is. It could be they're protecting the embarrassment of that family in the sense that this is a family that would have been the heirs to David, you know, all things figuring. They had a chance to sort of marry into the line here and gave it up, and so saving them embarrassment. The other idea, though, is that it's a bit, it's a judgment. It's that, because later on, as we read there, you see, he was worried about protecting his own line. He was worried about protecting his own family and his own name. And so now the writers generate, a couple generations later, when writing about the time of when David's ancestors. They basically leave this guy's name out. It's like, you were so concerned with protecting your name, I'm not even going to put your name in the story. <laughs> you know? And it's a bit of a judgment on him, because we'll find later that he's more concerned with his own sons and his own family line than he is worried about a limelex line. And he's not willing to fulfill the law that Boaz is willing to fulfill. And so, what's his name? Comes over and sits down. And, uh, and uh, as a result, we never know who he is uh, because of his decision. So Boaz presents the first opportunity to the land, and he says, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab and is selling the parcel of land that belonged to your relative Elimelech. And so I thought I'd tell you about it. Here you go. You have a chance to redeem the law. And you're thinking, back when Ruth and and Boaz were together, you're thinking, Boaz, don't go to the city gate. Like, we know where this is going to end. You're messing up the story. Something's going to happen. This is not going to have a happy ending. But Boaz, you know, he's got to do the right thing, so he goes and he presents it, and you're thinking, oh, it's fine, he's got, he's got to deny it, right? This guy's not going to accept the redemption, because we know it's got to end happily ever after, right? And, and so he says, you know, I thought I would tell you, here you go, if you would redeem it, then redeem it. And, you, and you're thinking, no, Ruth and Boaz are meant to be together, I know where this is ending. And the guy says, that's fine, I'll redeem it. You're thinking, no, that cannot be how it ends. It <laughs> this is not right. You're not telling the story correctly. And uh, uh, it reminds me of that scene in uh, The Princess Bride. We were talking about it the other night. I can't remember. Who's seen The Princess Bride? We've all seen The Princess Bride, right? And Peter Falk is there telling the story to his his, his grandson. And what's the part where he tells the story and says, and then he died and and it's over. And and then it cuts out and the son is like, no, it can't end that way. (laughs) And that's what this reminds me of. It's like, no, that can't be the story. It can't end this way. Yeah, he's only mostly dead. That's right. He's not dead. He's only mostly dead. So Boaz says, Wait, 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 right? Before we start swapping sandals and everything, I'm not done the story. Uh, before we shake hands on this, you need to know that when you buy the land, you also are the redeemer of Ruth. And so Ruth becomes part of your family, and you'll have children by Ruth, and they would share in the inheritance and everything else. And the other guy is not in for that at all. And he says, Wait a minute. I can't marry Ruth because I have to protect my own inheritance, right? She's not coming with a whole lot of land. There can't be much left of her wealth at all, if any, left after 10 years away. She didn't even know they had anything. And this guy's going to marry in, and then so her kid is going to end up getting the land in the end. His family's not going to get it. And in fact, if his son somehow died, her children might end up inheriting all of his stuff. Like, So it might be a limilex line that continues rather than his And he's not willing to pay that price. He's not willing to take that risk. And he doesn't want to jeopardize the inheritance of his own family by adding a Limelech's family in through Ruth, but not Boaz. Boaz is completely different from this unnamed relative. He's not afraid of the cost, and he's prepared to accept the cost in full. And the picture here is that the redeemers that God provides to his people are redeemers who are willing to pay the price. They don't Consider the cost they consider what they need to do to accomplish the redemption, and what needs to be done is that Ruth needs to be married, and the family line needs to continue and Boaz is willing as a redeemer to pay the price to redeem Ruth and Now this bit with the sandal, you know that interesting little thing with the sandal there it 's part of the kinsman redeemer thing if actually, the way the law reads, if you actually read it is that if the man refuses to redeem the woman, she actually takes the sandal and spits in his face, and basically tells the guy, uh, you are going to be known in Israel now as a family of the unsandaled. So rather than having the sandal forcibly removed and being spit in his face, this guy offers up his sandal voluntarily. <laughs> take it. Just take it and go. No spitting. And, uh, but you have this sort of strange little thing where the, the sandal is exchanged. And the witnesses are there, so that people say, I was there, I remember, right? It's just weird. It may be one of these things. It's just weird enough that people would remember, right? As the elders are there, and you say, do you remember that deal with uh, Limelech and that other guy? And, And you're like, yeah, I remember. He took his sandal off. It was his sandal. He gave his sandal to Boaz, so I remember. He's the guy that refused to redeem, and he gave the sandal to Boaz. So Boaz was the guy who redeemed. I remember it. I can picture it. You know, it's just weird enough, because this is an oral society, right? This is a a verbal tradition, a verbal society, and these things had to be remembered. So I'm just conjecture there, but the sandal thing is probably just weird enough that it helps you remember the transaction. But there's an interesting thing there, again, in terms of this law-keeping of Boaz and the paying the price of Boaz. You know, we're leading up to a love that will fulfill every law and pay every price in order to redeem, which will end in the line of Kings and ultimately to Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, the Redeemer that we celebrate today. But at the same time, and the reason I bring that up, just this idea of the witness and the testimony in the sandal, is that, again, in this picture of marriage that is put forward here, this idea that we've gotten wrong in a lot of ways in society that, that there's a reason that marriages are a community event. There's a reason that marriages are witness. There's a reason that the ceremony and the transaction and the legality and everything that's going on, it's there for a purpose, that God has put it in place in that way for a reason. And we've gotten off track with marriage, I think, quite a bit, in the sense that it's too easily and falsely viewed as just a matter between two people, but it was never about just two people it's a social contract with the community and you see how the people respond in joy to the marriage of boaz and ruth and how it is a good marriage and how you know there's going to be blessing that comes out of it and and so this is a fairly serious point that i'm making and i don't want to make it in a judgmental way and i'm not this has nothing to do with uh, with value of people, or love of people, or families, or anything else, but it's just a reality of the of the social community reality that marriage is, and that marriages are similar to individuals in a community in that they don't exist in isolation. You know, as much as Ruth and Boaz were isolated on the you know threshing floor, and as much as in the middle of the night they could have ran away and eloped, and you know we love each other and that's all that matters. Boaz realized that this marriage has bigger implications to the community around them. That it has to be set in the reality of the community that God put them in. And that there are marriages, and many of us know there are marriages that are in seasons of of sort of strength and health. and, And we're personally blessed by those marriages and those couples who can speak into our lives. And they sort of, you know, carry us forward for seasons. And then there's other times when our own marriages or other marriages that are seasons of distress and and need those strong marriages. But the reality is, and I'm I'm not talking about what marriage is what or whose marriage is what, I'm talking about the reality that this is what we exist in, that marriages don't exist in isolation. Marriages don't exist in a vacuum. To selfishly determine that your marriage is just about you (laughs) is wrong. We have to be really clear that marriages are not just about the husband and wife. Marriages are about the whole community. The modern idea of marriage has totally missed this point that the marriages are not our own private business, that they affect all the people around us, good and bad, and all the community is invested in the health of marriages. And so why do I make such a big deal about marriage? Because it's granted by God for our benefit, yes, but marriage is also given to us by God as an eternal picture of his covenant love, Right? Paul, in Ephesians 5, when he's talking about husbands and wives and marriage, he he digresses for just a sentence, and he says, it's mysterious, it's a mystery that I'm talking about, but in marriage, I'm talking about Christ and the church. (laughs) And so there's this thing about marriage that God has created, that it's a mystery, that even, even the apostle Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery to him, it's a mystery to me. But it's about Christ and the church. right? This is a social contract above and beyond all the other social contracts that we have. And so in the church, we cannot tamper with what God has set forth as marriage. The reality of love and relationship in the way that marriages are put together is something that we can't tamper with in the church. We have to be very clear in the church what we believe about family and marriage, because God has a purpose for it. And so God has set it out for our health and well-being, and he set it out for more than that. He set it out as a picture of the reality of his agreement with us. And that's the picture we have in Ruth and Boaz of the redemption. The redemption of Ruth, who is a, a penniless foreign woman who has no standing in the society that Boaz is from and Boaz's willingness to fix his love upon her, to pay every price, to fulfill every law, to redeem her. And that redemption ends in marriage. And God has given us marriage to be that picture of a fixed, purposeful love that's willing to be righteous and, is, and to do the right thing and then to pay any price to make it come about. So Boaz publicly de- declares that he'll pay the price. He'll take on whatever the cost in the future is of bringing Elimelech's family into his. He's going to fulfill the law in completion, you know, right down to the swapping of sandals or whatever goes on there. Hopefully he didn't spit in the guy's face, but... Um, you know, the law was going to be fulfilled by Boaz in order to accomplish this result. And the result is this permanent, covenantal, legal, one-flesh relationship of Ruth, a foreign widow, to Boaz, a worthy man of Israel. And that's to show that everything is done rightly by the law, beyond reproach, beyond accusation, You know, Boaz and Ruth could have ran away at night, but then they would have always been looking over their shoulder, right? Boaz always would have been looking over his shoulder, saying, well, what if the other guy finds out, right? What if the other guy finds out that I married Ruth, and he realizes who Ruth is, and then, you know, you want to go through your marriage like that, always looking over your shoulder about stuff you never dealt with before you got married to do it right? No, that wasn't what Boaz was going to do. This whole picture is spelled out, because it's kind of funny. I ask myself, why spend, like, it's only a four-chapter book. Why would you spend, like, you know anywhere from like about, you know, one-sixth or one-eighth of the book, almost like 20% of the book, 20, you know, 15% of the book talking about this weird legal thing. It's important because all of this is to show that it's been done right, that it's beyond accusation, that the, the mechanics or the process of redemption has been followed and, and witnessed. Because here's the point. It's one thing for somebody to say, I'm willing to redeem. That's a great thing. That was last chapter, right? It was Boaz saying, yes, I'll redeem you, right? Even Jesus, right? It's one thing for Jesus to say, yes, I'll redeem you. It's another thing when we're on this side, when we're Ruth, to know that the redemption is actually going to take place and that the person who says they'll redeem me can redeem me and knows how to redeem me and will pay the price to redeem me and has the ability to pay the price to redeem me. That's what chapter 4 is about. The answer, yes, I will redeem you, is a glorious answer in chapter 3. But in chapter 4, what we have is the answer to not only do I want to redeem you, I will redeem you, I'm able to redeem you, I can fulfill all the laws and I can pay all the price to do it so that it's done. That's an even better answer than just, yes, I will redeem you, but I don't actually know how and I'm not willing to. (laughs) That's different. So the New Testament makes a few references to the accomplishment of Jesus in redeeming us according to the law, talking about why the law. Why done this way? Why the price? And so I'll just look at one of them. Colossians two thirteen to 14 talks about another legal transaction that Jesus does for us. And he says, You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's Colossians two thirteen to 14, if you missed that. You could also look at Romans 7, 1 to 5. But essentially, as Paul is writing to these people in Colossae, the Colossians who live in Colossae, the apostle Paul is encouraging them by explaining that Jesus was more than just a nice guy who wanted to redeem them, that Jesus was like able to redeem, that he knew the law, was able to pay the price of the law, follow the law, and that the payment would be accepted and that the redemption would actually happen, that it would be secure, that the redemption would be real, not just wishful thinking. The law of God couldn't be ignored. It had to be fulfilled. There was no hope of us ever fulfilling the law of God that had to be met for our own redemption. We can't pay to God anything that would earn our own redemption. And yet there is this debt between us and God that has to be paid. And so we need a Redeemer who can take us as penniless foreigners who don't have any standing in the nation of heaven, (laughs) and we have to get married into that nation from a native a heavenly person who's our kinsman how do we get a heavenly person who is our kinsman Jesus has to come as a child he has to be born he has to be part of humanity to be our kinsman who we can then be redeemed by and so we might ask what are the ways in which Jesus is like Boaz and fulfilling all of the law and Colossians talks about one this debt that's nailed to the cross because the debt has been paid but Jesus fulfills all the law, right? The moral law. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor. Well, can I do that? I can strive to, but I can't do it, right? I can't love the Lord with everything in my heart at all times, but Jesus did. He fulfilled the moral law. The priestly and ceremonial law, right? says in Hebrews 4, 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Aaron was the sort of foremost high priest of the old covenant, but Aaron couldn't compare with Jesus as a high priest. Jesus came and he fulfilled the high priestly responsibilities of the law. Another law that he fulfilled, the purity, ceremonial laws, right? Besides the atonement of blood sacrifices, Christians are permitted to eat, Whatever foods their conscience allows them, talks about in Mark, right? And so there are these purity ceremonial laws of of what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and, and bathing and purity rituals and things like that. And then Christ comes and fulfills all the purity requirements that by our belief in Him and our faith in Him and our participation in His death and resurrection, then His blood covers all of our impurity. And all the purity laws are covered in Christ. And so nothing is impure that God has made pure. The laws of the temple in the old covenant, God made commands about how to build the tabernacle and he gave all those instructions about exactly how it had to be and how Solomon could build the temple and then all the things that went around how the temple could operate. There was all these laws that had to be fulfilled. But then Jesus comes and he fulfills this temple need in his own person and in his church jesus says to the pharisees referring to himself he says i tell you one greater than the temple is here jesus says you destroy this temple and i'll rebuild it in three days jesus fulfills the temple laws the law of the sabbath another one i mean you could go on and on through the laws that jesus fulfills and the kinsman redeemer law jesus fulfills that one too so we have in Ruth this picture of Boaz who is willing and able, knows the law, is righteous in seeking obedience to the law, is willing to fulfill the law, and then is able to fulfill the law. And we have that same picture in Boaz as a redeemer as we have in Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. That he knows the law, is able to fulfill the law, and is willing to pay the price that the law be followed to redeem us. so where does that leave us? In Ruth. This love that's fixed upon her of Boaz. The love of Jesus that's fixed upon us and won't rest until the redemption is complete. But it's not just a love that's driven by emotions or whatever body chemistry is going on in Boaz that night in the barn. It's a love that's driven by his purpose. That he is going to dot every I and cross every T and fulfill the law because he's concerned with righteousness when Jesus came, and he was going to John the Baptist to be baptized, he came from Galilee, it says in Matthew 3, he came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus answers him, and he says, Let it be this way now, for it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's the heart of Jesus. Jesus is concerned about righteousness. Boaz was concerned about righteousness, about doing it right. And then as you continue in Ruth, there's this issue of the witness of all the elders and all the people at the town and where that sort of leaves us in this. And in 1 John 1.1, it talks about the witness of the redemption. In 1 John, John's writing late in his life about a lot of the disciples, his friends are dead at this point, and he's writing to a church which he loves, and he says in 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's how he starts this letter. John's a witness to the redemption that took place. And so John, in a way, he's saying, I was there. You know, I saw it. You know, I saw the the sandal swapping. I saw the redemption take place. I'm a witness to what happened. And in Ruth, we see this same thing of the importance of the witness. That all the people witnessed it and blessed the union and blessed the redemption. And Boaz takes Ruth and she becomes his wife and, and uh, they have a son. And then, you know, the people say, Bless to the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer, that his name may, may be renowned in Israel. And we're in that same place, right? We've witnessed the redemption in our own life. We've witnessed the redemption in the lives of others we have this role to play as well this role of the elders and the women and and the families that are around Naomi or, or Ruth and and uh, Boaz that we then like the disciples like John can then bear witness to the redemption that we've seen that this needs to be told about it needs to be remembered it needs the gospel needs to go forth to tell of the redemption and so in conclusion here it says that The women are blessing Naomi and blessing the Lord and that he will be a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age. And Naomi takes the child and lays him on on her lap and becomes his nurse. And so it's Ruth's child, but it's Naomi's the grandmother and the line of Elimelech is continuing. And uh, his name is Obed and eventually it leads to David. And so at the end of Ruth, after all this has happened and and all this has unfolded in the matter of months. We see a picture here that Naomi and Ruth is our story, that what begins in disobedience and what begins in death, you remember Naomi coming back and saying, don't call me Mrs. Pleasant, call me Mrs. Bitter, you know, because the lo- I went away full and I came away, em- I've come back empty and the Lord's hand is against me. As that goes through its story of the Redeemer that Boaz is, the story of a Redeemer that's Um, if we seek refuge in that Redeemer, he's willing to fulfill every law and is willing to pay every price, even with his life on a cross. It's a story of redemption. And at the end of the story, God has provided for his people Israel. He's providing a line of kings. God has provided for Naomi. She went away empty. And I'm no grandmother. (laughs) But there's some grandmothers out there. And you'll have to testify for me of how full you feel when you have (laughs) that baby on your lap. I am sure there was nothing in Naomi's mind about emptiness. There was nothing in Naomi's mind about the hand of God being against her. In a matter of months, God had filled up Naomi's life like she couldn't have possibly imagined. To the point that Naomi and Ruth are now in the line of King David and ultimately of Jesus. That's a fullness that God provides. So, all of that at Christmas time, the book of Ruth, to lead to David, to lead ultimately to a baby in a manger, which we've been celebrating for the last few weeks. It's a story of redemption. It's our story. It's a story of celebrating the laws of mercy that Jesus is going to fulfill. And Jesus is going to fulfill these laws and fulfill the purpose of of mercy and redemption in a way that boaz can't imagine and jesus is going to pay a price that that boaz couldn't pay because as great a guy that boaz was and as righteous and as obedient as he was he was just like us we needed a kinsman from heaven to come to redeem us To fulfill laws of mercy that Boaz couldn't imagine. To fulfill laws of redemption that Boaz could not conceive of. To pay a price that Boaz could not imagine. That not any of us could imagine. To pay a price not just for one lost Moabite woman, which Boaz was willing to pay, but to pay a price for any who would call on his name. To pay a price for the sins of the whole world. For every sinner who repents. So that's what I leave you with at the end of the book of Ruth. That's what God leaves us all with. That the love of Jesus is fixed upon us and he won't rest until we're redeemed. And the love of Jesus will fulfill every law that's required for redemption so that we can be assured that our redemption is complete without any doubt. And Jesus' love will pay every price that needs to be paid so that we can be married into the family of God and redeemed. And it all started with a decision that Ruth made on a road (laughs) in between Moab and Bethlehem, and Ruth decided to be obedient. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this glimpse into your sovereign purposes and how you work. And it's a reminder to us that We do not have our eyes on the right ball most of the time. We think that things are happening with judges and with kings and with politicians and power brokers. And meanwhile, you're working in the world and working in our lives in little towns and little places with people that we least expect. And Father, incredible, this picture that you paint of Ruth, a foreigner who needs redemption, and Boaz, a redeemer. And the love that we can't imagine. Lord, we just give you thanks, and we celebrate with joy that Jesus, you came to earth to be our kinsman. You came to earth to redeem us with a purpose, and that you were able to do it. The law could be fulfilled, the price could be paid, and our redemption is assured our line will continue forever because of what you've done. We give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen.